Hello and welcome back to Christian Life Church Online. We are continuing to talk about Fan the Flame and uh, our emphasis has really been on revival, renewal, and it's very interesting that um, we really started this, thought we'd go through it in January, but have really felt the need to continue on uh, in this particular vein. If you've been attending our services, it would seem that there's just been uh, an increased hunger for God as we have been gathering each and every week. Um, it's been very encouraging as the Holy Spirit has been moving among people and upon their lives. And we hope that uh, as you're listening to this, that it will encourage you, inspire you, and draw you closer in your relationship with Jesus. And so today I want to talk to you about the woman at the well. It's a story found in John chapter 4, verse 6 to 26. And I want to kick it off with just reading the first couple of verses. It's talking about Jesus. And it says, Now he had gone through Samaria, and so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now this story takes us to a place where we see Jesus rejecting religious forms and religious norms. And, and he ultimately reveals himself as being the Son of God in the most unlikely place and to the most unlikely person. He's at Jacob's well in Sychar in Samaria. I want to share a little bit of historical significance about this location. Sychar was also known in the scriptures previously as a place called Shechem. Now it was located, or is located, 48 uh, kilometers north of Jerusalem in the West Bank in Palestine. And it was the main travel route linking the northern and the southern parts of Israel. And it was also in the main corridor linking the east and the west. And Shechem, or as we now know it here is in the New Testament as Sychar, but Shechem was mentioned 58 times in the Bible. It was the place that God first appeared to Abraham, and it was the place where God promised that, that he would inherit the land. Abraham and Jacob lived there. Joseph's bones are buried there. And there are several significant events in the Bible that happened at Shechem. But today we focus on Jesus' conversation with a Samaritan woman that he met at Jacob's well in Sychar, which was previously known as Shechem. So that's a little bit of the history of the location, but who are the Samaritans? What, what, what was the story with them? Well, they were a small group of unfaithful Israelites who stayed in the land of Israel. Now, they were unfaithful in that they intermarried with foreign unbelievers, and that was a that was an absolute no-no. They ended up establishing their own religion. They built their own temple. Instead of the temple in Jerusalem, they had their own thing going. And their relationship with the Jews was strained, and it was hostile. They didn't get along very good. They were rejected by the Jews and were considered to be unclean. 
And the Samaritans, in turn, would, would have also despised the Jews and, and resented them. And so generally speaking, they had very little to do with each other. You, you didn't see a lot, of, a lot of good relationships happening between them. Now, as far as beliefs went, the Samaritans only uh, believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. And so Jesus is in a fairly hostile environment. And he approaches a woman who herself was, would not have at all been uh, receptive and was likely very hostile to Jesus, a Jewish man. And this brings me to the third point that I'd like to make. The whole conversation that Jesus made uh, with this Samaritan woman is recorded in John chapter 4, verse 7 to 14. And we find that Jesus kicks off the conversation with a request. He said to her in verse 7, will you give me a drink? Now, the simple act of Jesus asking a Samaritan woman for a drink was breaking all the norms of how these two people would have normally interacted. They would not normally have interacted. It breaks the norms of the racism, the prejudice, the judgment, and the hatred. Now, not only was she a Samaritan woman, but she was a Samaritan woman who was living in an adulterous relationship. She had had, I believe, five husbands, and the one she was with, she wasn't married to. Now, she would have been pretty low on the social scale of that day, and certainly to a Jewish man would really have been looked down upon. Now, in Jesus asking her for a drink, he's actually elevating her and putting her temporarily in a place of superiority. When you are asking someone for help, you're actually reaching up to them. And that was what he was doing in this thing. Was he was actually reaching up to her and saying, could you give me a drink? Just to kind of illustrate this, a number of years ago, I was working in a, uh, a large inner city church, and we would get people coming in throughout the day asking for money, asking for food, asking for help, asking for assistance. It was a very common occurrence. We had one fellow, his name was Ken, and uh, he would come in sometimes several times a day. Now, you know, Ken had a lot of, a lot of issues. He was a very sweet guy, very nice guy, very harmless, but he just simply didn't remember uh, the number of times that he would have come in. He might have come in in the morning and said, hey, can I have a couple of adult dollars for a cup of coffee and <clears throat> and then he might come in in the afternoon and he might come in an hour later and the secretary would say Ken you were just in here an hour ago and he'd say oh really and he honestly didn't remember well this one particular day he had been in and out in and out asking for money and uh, you know he'd oftentimes have socks on his hands to keep his hands warm he didn't have mitts or gloves and and, and he was a kind, sweet, harmless individual. And I really liked Ken. I really did. Used to talk to him quite often. And one day I thought, you know, I'm going to kind of play a, a joke on Ken. 
And so he came in, and I had happened to be in the office just when he, when he walked in. And before he could say, can you give me money, I looked at him and I said, Ken, I'm so glad you're here. Could you lend me a couple of bucks? I really need to buy a cup of coffee. I'm, I'm a little short today. And he kind of looked at me with this surprised look and kind of raised his shoulders a little bit. And, and he, he says, oh, uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't have any money. And I said, well, Ken, I said, when you get some, could you come and help me out? He said, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll do that for you. And he turned and walked out. It just changed the dynamic of that conversation, even though it was a little bit of a humorous situation at the time. Ken was in a different position, where he was not the beggar, but he was the one who was asked to be the provider. And he actually, you could see, he just actually kind of raised up a little bit and, and, and felt more important. Well, this is a, in essence what Jesus did with this woman. And um, he was asking her for something. He was elevating her. And her response is, is seen in verse 9. She says, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because Jews did not associate with Samaritans at all. How can you ask me for a drink? She was very quick to remind him of the way things were between Jews and Samaritans. That they ultimately mixed like oil and water. That Jews would look down on Samaritans and certainly would normally look down on a person like her. It was a long history of, of resentment and that even you know, exists today between Palestine and Israel. And so she's questioning, like, how can you ask me for a drink? Well, Jesus makes her an offer. As we read in verse 10, Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So he offers her living water, which really is eternal life, as we see in verse 13 and 14. Everyone who, who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will, will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You know, when you think of this, we're all thirsty. We are born with a soul that thirsts. We're born to be thirsty. And we all have a tendency to try to quench that thirst with work, with possessions, with friends, with money, with sex, with recreation, with whatever. And the funny thing is, is that no matter how much we try to quench that thirst, we'll always be thirsty again. We're in a perpetual state of dissatisfaction, a perpetual state of being thirsty. And Jesus is saying, if you take the water, the living water that I offer you, you will never thirst again. 
And the Samaritan woman had it right, even though I don't think she really knew what she was talking about. She said, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty again. I think she was probably thinking of, of physical water and that somehow her physical body wouldn't get thirsty again. She wouldn't have to keep coming back to the well to drink. The only thing that can quench our thirst in life is the living water of Jesus Christ. It springs up to eternal life. So it, it does something for us in the here and now in that it quenches our thirst, our appetite for all the things that we try to fill our lives with that ultimately don't satisfy, but it also springs up into eternal life. And so what's the lesson that we learn here? So as I said at the beginning of this message, we've been talking about fan the flame, been talking about revival in our church, been talking about it online. We're hearing about revival in other parts of the world. We see the Spirit at work. We see the Holy Spirit moving upon young people, moving in other parts, other nations. And it's exciting. It's exciting. And, and we see when, when Christians become revived that it, it's, it's expressed in several significant ways in our lives. It's expressed in how, we have, in how we worship. When you think of the revival taking place right now down in Asbury uh, College or University, it's a gathering. Holy Spirit's present. Holy Spirit is moving among people. They're worshiping. But the interesting thing is when revival happens, you don't want to leave the presence of God. You want to be there. You don't want to miss out. Because there is a thirst that is being uh, satisfied as they drink of the Holy Spirit's presence. Another thing that happens is... is along those same lines, when revival happens, it draws hungry people in, kind of like moths to light. They're just drawn in. People are drawn in. And when I look back at history of many of the revivals that took place, people would travel for, for you know, maybe around the world to come to the revival, to, to drink of the Holy Spirit, to, to be in the presence of God, to be spiritually renewed. Revivals draw hungry people. And the other thing that happens is we seem to return to our first love of Jesus. We, we love him more intensely. When you're in love with someone, you're thinking about them, you're dwelling on them, you want to talk to them, you want to be with them, you want to be in their presence. You don't want to leave them. And when we return to our first love of Jesus, we just love Jesus more intensely. That's another thing that happens when we experience personal revival. We also find that when we experience personal revival, it breaks the power of sin in our lives. And we get a thirst for God. I want to say something here. Sin is something that, um, if we're really honest with ourselves, a lot of Christians struggle with it. And you can have knowledge, you can go to church, you can have information, 
And you can even have a prayer life. You can have the right convictions, the right set of beliefs about various things and not be able to overcome sin. The thing that helps us overcome sin in our lives is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus, a longing for Jesus, a thirsting for Jesus, a hunger to be with Jesus. That's what breaks the power of sin. That's why Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, drink of the living water that I give you and you will never thirst again. You see, when we have the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, very present in our life, it fills that thirst and we don't want to sin. When we are revived, it fills us with the presence of Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not some good outside force that's floating around the world. But the Holy Spirit abides within each and every one of us. And in that, we sense his presence, his power, and we sense his love. And so Jesus told this Samaritan woman about true worship. He said in verse 21, he says, you won't worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You see, the, the Samaritans had their place of worship in Gerizim, and the Jews worshiped in Jerusalem. But he said, we worship in spirit and in truth. He said, we are, the Bible teaches us that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. The Holy Spirit abides within us. And everywhere we go, the Spirit is. Everywhere we go, the Spirit is with us. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 9, God, whom I serve in my spirit. In Ephesians chapter 6, 18, we're told to pray in the spirit. See, when we're revived, there is an abiding sense of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, and we thirst for the living water. And only the Holy Spirit can quench that thirst. Only the Holy Spirit can satisfy. As I close today, Elevation Church does this uh, song called, O Come to the Altar. And it starts with these words, are you hurting and broken within? Are you overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. If you're at the end of yourself, if you're hurting and broken within, drink from the well, the springs of living water. He's calling out to us. We're tired of, of trying and trying and trying to be good enough. He's calling us out of, out of shame. He's calling us out of guilt. He's calling us out of hurt and brokenness and abuse and rejecting, rejection. He's calling us to wholeness. He's calling us to himself. And he's the only one who can satisfy you. Will you come and drink the living water? Will you come and be filled with the presence of the, and the power of the Holy Spirit? And you know, it all starts, it all starts with believing in Jesus. When we believe in Jesus, he gives us new life. When we give our lives to Christ, he gives us new life. 
and His Spirit comes to dwell in us. And more than that, He wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He wants, you to, he wants to fill you to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And I just want to encourage you to, to seek Jesus, to seek Him with all you've got, to seek Him for that wonderful life in the Spirit. And if you have not received Christ ever before, or maybe you want to rededicate your life, you can simply confess your sins to Him. Confess that He is Lord, that you believe, and you'll be saved. You'll be forgiven. And if you are a follower of Christ, I just want to encourage you to press in. You see, you see and you hear of revivals happening around the world. It can happen for you too, right where you are, as you have a greater hunger for the Lord. Well, I want to thank you for joining with us today. And let me encourage you to join with us at uh, either 9.45 or 11.15. At one of our services, we'd love to have you. We also have a 2 o'clock Ukrainian service. God has been moving. God is moving. God is continuing to move. And we are just believing Him for a greater outpouring of His Holy Spirit. We hope that you join us, God willing, next week, either in person or online. Thank you for being here today.